0: Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the 4th. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe and I'm Eric Scoscauspo. Tonight, um, again, to give you some context, we're recording this evening of July 30th. Um, Some more and more stuff is coming out as far as schedules are concerned, uh, as far as what we might be seeing in the fall, if anything. Um, the SEC came out and said they're doing a 10-game schedule, uh, conference only, which I'm, I'm sure South Carolina is like, oh, no, we don't get to play Clemson. No, oh, geez, oh, that's <laughs> terrible. Oh, no, what, whatever will we do? Um, but uh, yeah, SEC is going to be starting in the back end of September, um, I guess, to give the students a chance to come on campus and see how much their cases explode. Um, ACC is doing something. They kind of brought in Notre Dame as a complete member this year. That that'll be fun. Um, Pac-12, Big 10 haven't come out with schedules yet. Um, There's talk that uh, possibly by the time you're listening to this, a Big 10 schedule might be out. So we're still kind of playing everything by ear. As far as what, if anything, we'll be seeing in a couple months. But uh, we're gonna talk about Iowa tonight. Uh, again, some you know, news breaking about Iowa. Um, you know, and we'll talk about that as a little bit, but uh, the the off season for Iowa has been nothing, if not eventful. Um, what with the allegations of mistreatment uh, by the black players there, the racial bias um, just today was announced that uh, a, they, there was an uh, external review that did find racial bias and bullying in the Iowa football program. M- um, much like the internal review that found the exact same thing two years ago, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, the, their strength and conditioning coach, Chris Doyle, had been there forever. He's gone. Um, got a nice golden parachute on his way out, so that, that's cool. Um, but, yeah, so Iowa offseason been very tumultuous, and that's putting it mildly. But, as, but aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we're going to start talking about the the offense and the defense like we always do. We'll talk kind of about the, the state of the Iowa program after that's over. But, uh, John, um, defensively, they lose a fair amount.
1: Yeah, so – let me just say right off the top, I have thoughts, <laughs> and I've been drinking cognac, and you're going to get my Kirk Ferentz thoughts later. For now, though, <laughs> let's just let's just talk about uh, the Iowa defense. You're, um, you're
2: cognac and my roughly three-quarters of a liter of German beer.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Punches will not so, be spared. Saddle again, up, folks. Again, yeah. a little context for you as we get into the night. Exactly. Um, but... Strictly X's and O's here relative to the defense for now. Um, I would say that anytime anyone tries to tell you that any part of the defense is more important than the defensive line, I would just point them toward the 2018 and 2019 Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, The past two years, Iowa has featured, arguably, the best defensive end tandem in the conference. But the key thing here is that Chauncey Golden Golston and much more importantly, A.J. Epineza, were perfect Big Ten ends. They did everything with raw power and technique, not speed. And guys like these are a nightmare when they are phenomenal players because they have to be doubled on all downs. We all know Northwestern is perennially close to this on the D-line. And even though I would say we never have true NFL-ready rock stars there, year in and year out, having a deep roster of talented guys who are close to that level or are late-round NFL picks makes everything else go on your defense. So technically, Epineza and Golston combined for 24 tackles for loss and 14.5 sacks last year, but this is not the way you should be evaluating their contribution. This was the number two scoring defense in the conference, the number five total defense, the number four rush defense, and the number five pass defense. And this was basically, in other words, a defense with no clear weakness in any area, despite, honestly, pretty mid-level talent overall. In other words, this is the pinnacle of what Iowa is trying to achieve every year, and Epineza and Golston made it all go. The big caveat here, and I've hinted at it already, and if you watch college football, you should be very familiar with this yourself, is that Epenesa is significantly better than Golston is. And that matters because Iowa fielded an unreal defense two years ago, thanks to the best four-member defensive line in the country. And then they lost both tackles from that unit. They dipped slightly overall in performance in 2019, but they remained very good, really excellent overall. This year, they once again lose both starting tackles and Epineza, which is the huge thing. So if this is not the worst D-line Iowa has had in a good while, then there's really nothing to do but tip your cap to Kirk Ferentz, I would say, if anyone was tipping their cap to Kirk Ferentz right now. But again, we'll circle back to that later. You get the idea. Golston is a great player. But he's not nearly good enough to command double teams by himself for an entire year, okay? He is not Epineza. Someone else is going to have to step up on this line, and it is a very green group. The linebackers continue to be very average, as they have been, really, since the Josie Jewel era ended, where they started those three linebackers and their, like, thousand combined tackles over the course of three seasons. Uh, those guys are long gone at this point. Christian Welch was very solid last year, but he's also gone now. Nick Neiman, Ben Neiman's brother, is once again back, and he's expected to be the de facto leader of this linebacker core, even though he was expected to be that last year, and he didn't really do anything. He and Jimon Colbert or Colbert are the returning starters, and truthfully, they don't bring much to the table. Like For this being Iowa... This is not that great of a linebacker core. And yet the numbers from last year, I can't stress enough how much Epineza meant to this defense. With that said, the second best defensive unit for Iowa last year was easily the secondary. Michael Ojemudia elevated his game at cornerback in a big way last year and is now a member of the Denver Broncos, the Denver Broncos, um, Geno Stone and Jack Kerner were hard-hitting safeties, and they finished second and third on the team in tackles. Now, normally, if you've been following our previews year after year, you know that if your safeties are handling all of the tackling, that's generally a bad sign, but not in this case, because Iowa really knew where its bread was buttered behind Epineza last year. They knew their linebackers were weaker. They knew their safeties were stronger. They played a ton of 4-2-5 with these two guys effectively playing linebacker last year. So Ojemudia and Stone are gone now. And that's a big loss. A huge loss at corner, a big loss at safety. Still, Kerner is back. And Matt Hankins is a very solid cornerback, who was the number two guy last year. And he should be fine in the number one role this year. It also bears mentioning again, if you've been following Iowa year after year, that they have a pretty strong track record at this point of hitting on a single excellent player in the secondary every couple of years. So that could be Hankins, um, or it could be a young guy like Safety Kayvon Merriweather who really hasn't had too much time to spread his wings yet. Overall, though, uh, again, like we need to give major credit to this defense. It's managed to string together several disparate eras, right? You had the whole Josie Jewel era where the whole big thing was how good the linebacker core was. And then that transitioned into this phenomenal string of years based on defensive line play. Um, And across all of that, they've had a couple random excellent corners um, who've gone on to the NFL. And really, despite different looks in different years, they've had this really good level of overall consistency at or near the top of the conference defensively. Um, So last year, we predicted that Iowa would tail off a little bit from where they were the year before due to those changes at defensive tackle. And that's what happened. But Iowa still basically performed at the peak range of our expectations, and they kept teams off the scoreboard even though they gave up more yards. So this year, I would expect another slip, although not that big one, But still, Epineza is as big a loss as a team can have. I mean, he was the prototype uh, defensive end. And it's not like, I mean, obviously, there were some other big deal defensive ends in the conference last year. And yet, that giant bull in a china shop who can get to the quarterback with power... And be really effective, you know, absorbing blockers against the run. Like, that's what every Big Ten team wants to have. So it's as big a loss as a team could have. And losing him, Ojemudia, Stone, and Welch would kneecap most defenses. But you have to give credit because Iowa tends to find ways to get it done defensively. So I would guess that this is probably going to be the fourth, fifth, or sixth best defense in a good defensive conference behind good defensive line play and a very competent secondary still the bottom line is that considering this team only gave up 14 points a game last year I'm way less scared of this unit than I have been of an Iowa defense in a couple of years now simply because there's no dominant player here other than Golston who was the fourth best member of the defensive line from two years ago it's not a good group of linebackers they can be overpowered um If the ponies are not in the stable on the defensive line, which is a big ask given Iowa's track record, but still, if the ponies are not there on the defensive line, this defense is going to have some trouble. And I would say that if our running game is the real deal, especially under some of these heavy sets we think Bajakian is going to be bringing in, um, the Iowa game is the kind of game that's going to prove that. Because this looks like a tough-nosed defensive team that's going to give nothing away, but can be made to surrender yards if you really are punching them in the mouth. And we all know we've played Iowa tough over the years, and we've beaten Iowa tough. And this feels like a year, and this feels like a defense where that can happen.
0: So guys, offensively, um, it- at quarterback Iowa always seems to have a guy there for multiple years nate stanley had been there for multiple years he's gone what do they got coming back do you count cj bethard as being having been there for multiple uh, years it
2: i was think, like what it's like one and a half but it, it felt like five <laughs> well it certainly felt like five for stanley um so you know i thought Iowa was gonna drop off last year um predominantly because they lost T.J. Hawkinson and Noah Fant to the NFL. Those were generational talents at uh, tight end. And, you know, they also lost their other top wideout, uh, Nick Easley. They um, were bringing everybody else back, so I thought, you know, they'd probably be a little bit better at running the ball and would drop off in the passing game, production would go down, etc. Um, they actually maintained their S P Plus rating. They were 54th in 2018 and they were 54th in 2019 however they did drop five points per game scoring and that took them from around fourth in the conference to 10th in the conference now interestingly in 2018 they were fourth in the conference in points per game like i mentioned but they were ninth in yards and in 2019 they were 10th in both those categories they basically overperformed uh in terms of scoring efficiency in in 2018 and i think those tight ends had a huge amount to do with that last year, you know, as a result, like I think I think their offense was more normal last year. They had kind of like a normal year, not a lucky year, not an unlucky year. Um and it was frankly fine for Iowa, right? Like you heard everything John talked about, that's their identity as a defense. They expect their offense to be hard-nosed and running the ball and, you know, decent enough in the passing game with with that pro-style QB to be able to do some damage. And they were again, they were fine. Um you know, I talked last year in the preview about Nate Stanley's lack of growth from sophomore to junior year, and then the huge hole that those two tight ends were going to leave, I specifically mentioned run blocking, and I said I would eat my damn hat if they if if their run blocking didn't drop off. Well, it did. Their all line their O line performance declined in almost every advanced category. Note that their sacks allowed also went from 16 up to 23. Uh, the running game overall produced 200 fewer yards and three fewer touchdowns. Not huge drops, but given that they had their entire backfield returning and much of the O-line returning from 2018, most outfits were expecting Iowa to improve in this department, and they did not. Also amusingly, Nate Stanley put up virtually identical numbers to 2018. He attempted three more passes. He completed two more passes. This resulted in an identical completion rate to the year prior. Uh, he threw for 99 more yards. Like, like, It's crazy. 2951 yards versus 2852 yards the two years in a row um his his efficiency rate the yards per attempt it was all virtually the same except for the touchdowns a drop of 10 touchdowns in the passing game he went from 26 down to 10 uh, sorry 26 down to 16 and this is where the tight ends were were massive so, the five replacement tight ends that played for played last year um they matched Fant and Hawkinson's uh, catch numbers and yards for the most part uh, mostly it was just tyrone Tracy and Nico Ragiani so let me give those guys credit um, but they only caught five touchdowns and that was down from the 13 that those other guys put up I already mentioned the running yards I mean like this was a huge hole and and frankly it's amazing that that the production stayed there and that's Probably a testament to to Nate Stanley. I like to joke about how he didn't change for three years, but in reality, he probably had to get a lot better last year. I also think on on the whole, their schedule was probably a little tougher last year. But um, it's it's all very amusing to me, especially given the dissent we got from Iowa fans after making these predictions last year. I remember I remember on the message boards getting a lot of, like these names of tight ends being thrown at us who are gonna who are gonna be amazing and replace these first rounders, uh, no questions asked. I'm, I'm guessing pro- that there might've been some questions asked. Oh yeah. There were some questions asked. Um, I believe, I believe Nate Whiting was the, was the most frequently cited name who caught 10 balls for 117 yards and zero touchdowns. So bully for you guys. Um, the, the guy that did save Iowa's proverbial bacon last year was uh, Amir Smith Marset, super fast wide receiver. He was injured part of the prior season, So, like, he looked really good, but ended up, you know, I think fourth on the team in terms of yardage and catches, et cetera. Um, But last season, playing a full year, he doubled his catches, doubled his yards, and his touchdowns. He also ran for three TDs and notched two TDs off of kickoff returns. He's electric and super fast. He's probably their best player on offense. But the bottom line is that overall, Iowa struggled to score TDs last year. They had a drop in rushing TDs. They had that big drop-off in passing TDs. And, you know, losing two generational tight end talents will do that to you. 2020 now is interesting because unlike last year, they return virtually all of their skill position production. I mean, it's basically Nate, Nate Waiting and those paltry stats, and that's it. However, they also lose Nate Stanley. Uh, they have a couple of guys to replace on the offensive line, but it's all upperclassmen per usual at Iowa. They're going to be just fine there, probably better than last season. Um, in fact, they're, they're, their stats as an O-line last year were, were, I don't want to say historically bad for Iowa, but quite bad. You would, <laughs> With the exception of some of the interesting coaching things that we'll talk about in a minute, um, you would expect their offensive line to improve in 2020. Tyler Goodson and Mackay Sargent both returned to the backfield. Sargent was great his freshman year. Goodson was really good last year. They're both really talented. They're going to be fine. And then everybody else, you know, who caught passes is back. Uh, you, you know, you expect Marset to be the top threat. Tyrone Tracy was was really good in that kind of primary tight end spot. Brandon Smith was good. Um, Nico Ragioni was, was was the next guy. That the the running backs caught 40 balls um, and averaged, you know, good yards per catch. Like, the, like. They've got a lot of skill positions. They've got the O-line, but but the big question, there's two big questions, really. The first one, we'll tackle first the easier one, and that's quarterback. So Stanley's gone. Spencer Petras is the guy that comes in who's most likely to replace him. He is a clone of Nate Stanley. He's the exact same size, stature, approach. He is your typical Iowa pro-style QB. He's slightly higher, higher graded as a four-star prospect coming out of high school, and. Um, But he also has zero experience. I think he attempted 11 passes last year. He broke a lot of Jared Goff's high school records in California, so that's interesting. Um, And there's, you know, Phil Steele talks about how the coaches thought that he was, you know, mentally prepared to play last year and was on par with Stanley in terms of how he thought about the game. I I don't think that really means a lot, but that's who they're going to start the year with. If he struggles, there may be an itch to play Deuce Hogan, who is a— High, highly rated dual threat QB coming in as a, as a freshman. Uh, he's got a higher pedigree than Petrus, but is again a true freshman. And, and that's you know, I don't think Iowa really wants to go that direction. Either way you slice it, they're going to be super young at QB, super inexperienced, no spring ball. That's going to cause problems, right? I expect their scoring to stay flat. Um, you know, lower lower half of the conference maybe it gets a little bit better if they're a little bit more efficient or get get lucky with the running game. Um, I mean they should at least score some more touchdowns on the ground, but the yardage is going to is is almost certainly going to fall back. Um, interestingly, last year was the lowest number of rushing attempts at Iowa since 2012. Which I believe was the height of the angry Iowa running back hating God years. So, um, <laughs> in, you know, last year we saw uh, like a split of 140 rushes, 350 passes, 300, close to 400 passes really with Stanley the last two seasons. Um, that's been th- that that kind of split's been pretty true for the Stanley years. I think they're going to end up being back in like a 180 to 200 rushes and 275 to 300 passes kind of space. So this offense is going to revert back to like the the um, stereotype when you think about off uh, uh, Iowa a lot of running the running the ball they run with with smith marset on occasion he carried the ball 11 times for over 100 yards last year i would not be surprised at all if he got more carries this season i think you're just going to see a more more conservative offense the wild card though and this is this is interesting is is all the stuff that has happened this off season up until today and we're going to talk about daddy Ference in a second but up until today, a lot of the focus, a lot of the commentary, whether it was from Akram Wadley or some of the other running backs in the past or other players, was around Brian Ferentz, who is the offensive coordinator and has been the OC at this, at this, at this school for four years. Now, I am not going to try and speculate whether any of the players in this offense or names that I've named have any issues with him or concerns. I, like, I don't, I don't want to go there. What I am confident about, though, is that regardless of who the players are, what their race is, anything— their relationships with Ferentz are going to change in some way this season. We don't know how that's going to play out. Um, I I would expect that the loss of a three-year starter at quarterback and, and a team captain in Nate Stanley is going to potentially create a little bit of a leadership vacuum that's going to make this a harder needle for them to thread. Um, and, I mean, given, given the stuff that Kirk is saying now um, – like you worry about the, the mentality of this team and their ability to function as a, um, as a holistic
0: football team. So let's get to the uh, elephant of the room here. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I, I just don't even know where, where to begin. Kirk Ferentz has been there for 20 plus years now. And the and he's fa- pretending that it's all roses. Yeah, the the fact that, like, all of this smoke has been going on underneath him and he's coming out of this scot-free is baffling to me. Like,
1: you know. I, I, I So I want to tell you guys a story. <clears throat> this is a true story, and this happened today, the day that we're recording this podcast. I was outside doing some yard work. My daughter, who's five asked for a snack so i gave her a bowl of salami slices and a little while later she came up to me and said quote dad i was running and now my bowl is empty and and i said did you spill the salami slices and she said i don't know i don't think so I was just running, and now my bowl is empty. Now, that's very cute, but then again, my daughter's not a Big Ten head football coach. And scant hours after my daughter said this, Kirk Ferentz stood on a podium and effectively said the same thing. Um, I'm really sorry that the bowl doesn't have any salami in it right now, uh, I I didn't spill anything. I don't think I spilled anything. Um, but I feel really bad that 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 there was salami in the bowl and now there's not salami in the bowl. And I promise in the future you won't hear anyone talking about there not being salami in the bowl. Yeah, but did you spill any of the salami? I it's like it's like yeah, but you're not five, are you? Um, and it was just listening to him and the AD speak in the vaguest possible language, right? About something that clearly is a massive problem at Iowa and has been a massive problem. And it's one of those things where he basically, you know, they asked him about Akron Wadley's comments and he basically kind of came back pretty hard and being like, what he's saying that I took away is like, you know, his meal ticket and I never did that and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, but like your reaction in this situation is to get defensive and go at you about a player who's described his time at Iowa as a living nightmare. And when you're given your chance to talk about this, your response is he's saying this thing didn't happen. He's saying this thing didn't happen. Um, okay.
2: At, at, at a press conference to discuss the fact That an external review just, like, confirmed the stuff that Wadley was complaining about after an internal
1: review did it two years ago. What the hell is happening here? Are we all taking crazy pills? Like, Akram Wadley, Marvin McNutt, Daryl Johnson Koulianos. Iowa doesn't have many more famous black people, black players, in the stable than these guys. These are not random players. These are a lot of the best players Iowa has had. And in unison, they are all saying that these were horrible problems, which means that an individual guy, no one's going to like, well, let me say not no one, no one outside of the Iowa fan base is going to hear that and be like, well, oh, I guess Akron Wadley was lying. No, that's not where we are right now with this program. And it was it was the classic case of, the appearance of contrition in a general sense, but contrition for what? I my, The bowl of salami is empty. I don't know what happened to it, but I sure feel bad that the bowl is empty. It's like, yeah, no, it all happened on your watch. A lot of it is directly tied to your son. Um, a lot of it's tied directly. It's hilarious. Things have gotten so bad that things have gone full circle on Chris Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach, because this is one of the guys that just about everybody agreed went way over the line and it's gotten so bad now that you have some players being like this guy was scapegoated simply because no one else's head is going to swing except for him um, in this whole mess. Uh, And so it's just, it's just one of those things where it's really clear if you're paying attention and you're looking that Ferentz to your points guys is like, I've been here 20 years And I've got my I've 20 years has gotten us to where we are today and players are saying things are bad and I'm going to try to be different. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you exactly what the steps are going to be that I'm going to take to improve um, because I don't want to. And it's just it's just such it's gross. It's a bad look it's a bad we're, look for Iowa it's a bad look for the conference
2: we were talking about this before the pod and it is very reminiscent of the tone you heard from Mark D'Antonio addressing such sex, sexual assault concerns with his football players last off season. and I mean I don't think he was quite as dismissive or defensive as Ference has been but I always I always felt it was like a shrug my shoulders like you know the 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 Authorities are looking into it and it's important. I mean, like he at least said it was important, but there was, there was no mea culpa. There was no, we're going to be better. There's no, here's what I'm going to do to improve. And then sure enough, a month after the season ends, he resigns. And it, I mean, it, we all know that Iowa can't fire Ferrance without bankrupting the state. I think, I mean, the buyout is still in the 20 million range and I don't think they're going to fire him for cause. I, 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 I don't believe that that there was like a payoff for for Doyle to take to take the fall on this I think there was stuff they didn't want to come out if if they tried to fire Doyle with cause and they were worried it was going to splatter back on Ference, and they tried to just move forward quickly and close close the door on this and it's. Not quite working.
0: I mean, um, to, to, to your point, I mean, you, you read through the tea leaves and, you, like, you see how the AD is, is reacting to all this. He has not looked like an AD who is trying to figure out how to get rid of Ference.
1: Oh, no. I mean, and that's the nope. thing. I think he looks like an AD who's desperate to keep Ference happy. And you're absolutely right, Scuzz, that I think the, that is the thing that I think from a strictly football, strictly long-term X's and O's football perspective – the thing that I would say is, it is now an official ticking clock on the Kirk Ferentz era at Iowa. Not because he's going to get fired, because boy, that ain't sure ain't going to happen. If you've been <laughs> watching, boy, have Lord have mercy between the Iowa fan base circling the wagons, um, and let's and let's be honest, the white Iowa fan base circling the wagons, um, and just right. What Sam said, the the every, all the language from the AD. Farance's own language, etc. Like they're not getting rid of him, but just like you could envision it happening with D'Antonio, for all you know in Ference's mind, he's thinking, "I've done an awesome job here. I built this team up from the ground up. I, I, the Iowa way is my way, and I'm now I'm having to deal with this. And a you know a year or two later, he's gonna be like, you know what? I'm just done. I'm done with this, and I'm out. I'm not saying that's right. That's flipping ridiculous." But I think there's a chance that that's what's going on in his mind. And I think it may lead him to just be like, all right, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm hanging it up. And so, I mean, that's one of those things. And so you fold that level of uncertainty in with everything Scuzz said about the offense. And, you know, let's talk about that too as an aside. There's the obvious racial component to this. Um, but there's also this quote unquote Iowa man story. And I can think of a couple players, right, who one black, one not black, where you reevaluate a lot of things. George Kittle is one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, where you look at it's like it's becoming pretty clear that Iowa coaches kind of threw Kittle under the bus going into the combine and like going into the pros in terms of kind of underselling his abilities because he wasn't a quote unquote Iowa man. And then the other one would be Noah Fant. Yep. I, th- I, I think you kind of have to go back and reevaluate that entire stretch of time where he wasn't playing and what the hell was going on there. And there are just real issues and real problems with the way Iowa coaches football players. Um, there's obviously a massive racial component to that but there's also this general intractability and right scuzz's point. I think there's some real distrust there right now. There's a real proven lack of flexibility that Ference Kirk Ference didn't exactly pour water on at the press conference. Um, And they're going to have to sort all of this out on the fly with, Um, with with no practice. (laughs) Yeah. Right. With no practice. So, so, So here's an interesting angle
2: because so let me, let me say something and you guys tell me if I'm crazy. And I'm I'm saying this from the Kirk Ferentz point of view, not necessarily from the real reality point of view. But um, do you think that in Kirk Ferentz's head, his son is the heir apparent to this team when he retires?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's one of the hot button issues everyone's been talking about. And I think a couple reporters tried to you know tried to corner Ferentz on that in the press conference. And of course, Ferentz was having. None of that. Because um, that's the. I mean, that's the one podcast press conference. Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's
1: that's the thing that I would wonder
2: if is going through his head is all right. I'm going to try and deflect this and clean this up over the next two years quietly in a way that allows Brian to still take this t-. I think it's totally untenable. I don't think Brian
0: Ferentz is that good of a coach to begin with. Um, and at, at this point, you know. With all the smoke running around Brian, is that even, a, you know, is that even a possibility
1: anymore?
2: I say, I say no. Um, I like, I also think the only reason he still has his job is because of Kirk. Right. Um, sure. But I, like it's, it's not exactly the same, but if, if, if Tennessee ran the idea of, of Greg Ciano out of town, 24 hours after it was announced that he might be hired as the next head coach. um, Not that Iowa fans are going to do that, but like, like could, could Brian Ferentz really take this team with,
1: with this track record now? There's no chance. It's just, I mean, and and unlike Kirk Ferentz who, again, I think one of the things in the AD bent over and the report, the internal report bent over, Backwards or external report, I guess Ben over backwards to stress that a lot of players had a lot of good things to say about Kirk Ferentz. Uh, Brian Ferentz was specifically targeted many times as like you know there is some flat out hatred on the part of a lot of black athletes who played for Iowa against Brian Ferentz, and I think to me there's this there's this other thing where. I think there's been a perception, a stereotypical perception, of Iowa as a quote-unquote white football team for a long time. And of course, stereotypes are stereotypes, and a lot of that's perception, a lot of that's just the fact that they're in Iowa, etc. But then you get a moment like this that is effectively validating a lot of these stereotypes. And effectively, hey, you know that school that's like quote-unquote has all the white guys? Well a lot of the black athletes who've gone there say that, yeah, that's a lot of that's really true and that they felt that there was a horrible culture in place to support African-American athletes. Um, That's a huge one-two punch to have to deal with as a program that has designs on recruiting future black athletes to the team, especially if you're like, yeah, all the criticism was leveled against... Two guys, a strength coach we could easily jettison, and the coach's son, who guess what, we didn't jettison, and he's still there now. And it's like you're gonna sell that to African American athletes who could choose to play somewhere else. I just, it's, it's ludicrous to me. Um, so, and, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, they're they're gonna have to make hard decisions. But but to your point, yeah, I just don't see how this succession plan with the younger Ference can possibly come to fruition. I just can't believe that they could possibly recruit doing that. So do we, do we legit think that
0: ference might walk away? I mean, not, not right now, obviously, but like in the next year or two, will this be enough to, to push him out?
1: I mean, I, you know, if it's, I don't know. I suppose if it's one of those things where he's still here three years from now, then, well, then, you know, I'll be like, well, I guess I was wrong about that. I would say the clock would be less, you know, and I and it's the kind of thing where with D'Antonio, no one saw it coming. He just decided on his own. Um, But I certainly think you can draw a lot of parallels there. And right. I I think it's a good point you make, Sam, where if he does stay, it's going to be part of this futile, you know, Goal of keeping alive the chance that his son replaces him, which just seems ridiculous to me. But, um, if not, yeah, I think that that's the one thing gumming this up. But I, but beyond that, I could totally see him thinking, like, look, there, I'm not appreciated for what I did and I'm sick of this and, you know, I, I just choosing to hang it up. But if, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But, but boy, oh boy, um, I was going to have to, to sort this out.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I think the thing I would just want to reemphasize is what is what one of you guys said earlier and that's that th- like n- nobody's firing Kirk Ferentz for a lot of reasons, right? Um, and I don't I don't know that this I don't know that this would have gotten a lesser coach fired somewhere else, right? It feels like the sort of thing like it wasn't him. A lot of players spoke well of him, like he's probably fine G- given the situation i don't think they're going to tell him to fire his kid either knowing that that would mean he would hang up i just like i th- this is all about kirk and what he's willing to shoulder and deal with um over the next couple seasons right i like it, it really comes down to that and if he there cuz the pressure is going to be there like media are going to continue to ask about this um i you know the 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 players have asked for you know, some things to, to frankly, allow them to be themselves. And we'll see how that plays out with regard to social media and other things. Like there's, there's no, there's no doubt going to be changes, but, um, like it, it, do, it, it really does feel like a get off my lawn moment. And that in, a, in, in, a, in six months time, he might be like, yeah, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And, and honestly, exacerbating probably all of that is everything around coronavirus i mean you think about like my, my mother's a high school teacher right and she is contemplating early retirement because of not not because she's mad not because you know she thinks they should do one thing or the other thing she's just not sure she can operate effectively in this new world and that's something that you know we, we haven't talked at all about really but um for a coach like Ference who's been doing this gig for a long time, like it's a different world in twenty twenty in in multiple different facets, and that's hard to hard to adapt to. I,
0: I just want to, I just want to you know throw something out there just in terms of you know, Kirk Ferrance took over from Hayden Fry, right? Hayden Fry had been coach at Iowa forever in a day. He retired at right around age seventy. Ferrance is sixty four right now
1: true and i think you know you also make the point about that this is a college paved in long-standing tradition right i mean the football football program that's basically two guys that basically go back about as long as any of us have been alive and i think that's not something that speaks to necessarily to forward thinking but to scuzz's point not necessarily about coronavirus but about this new world um One thing that I would bring up that is definitely, I would say, one of those major shifts that you're seeing right now is think about the African-American athletes who are on Iowa's team right now. Well, in past years, if something like this would have happened, you would have definitely had moments in subsequent years, right, where the media is checking in or being like, so, hey, how have things been since whenever, right? And you have an environment where, some of those athletes are going to be like, well, you know, if it's gotten better, I'm going to say, but if it hasn't gotten better, look, I don't want to violate the sanctity, the locker room, blah, blah, blah. What you're going to get now is Marvin McNutt checking in with those guys, Akram Wadley checking in with those guys, right? Um, Daryl Johnson-Culiano checking in with those guys, Noah Fant checking in with those guys and being like, hey, has it gotten better? Tell us, because if it hasn't, We are going to raise a stink about this with the athletic department, right? Is it getting better? We know what we went through. Tell us. And on the flip side, I think you're going to feel like those guys that are there are a little bit more empowered to try to make that happen. So I think as much as Ferenc wants to talk his way around all of this, he's going to have to address things and deal with things in a tangible way. And if he doesn't want to do that, then... That's your situation where he's like, all right, look, you know, to your point, Sam, look, I'm pushing late 60s, I'm retirement age, so I'm going to retire and and leave with my head held high and not have to deal with all this. But I I guess we'll find out, Um, you know, if if someone else is is under there beneath beneath the shell of the guy who gave this press conference today, then maybe we'll actually see some real change. But I'm not holding my breath. I've been drinking a lot of
2: German beer, so I'm going to say the following. (laughs)
1: okay if you if you're a stupid ass
2: iowa fan who's digging in your heels on this right now what what in the last like six years of kirk ference make makes you take that approach like what what is it about this this tenure that makes you think that iowa football is like ascendant right now um and in the in the words of our buddy chris giannini like brett bielman is just sitting there just sitting out there for you right now <laughs> like, like don't be stupid Iowa fans like wake up and smell the coffee and look at the broad look at the look at, look at the bigger world I'm
1: done. A- 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 all right. to that
0: well let's just go ahead and leave it there for tonight obviously there'll be a lot more to talk about with Iowa moving
1: forward um, you know we'll, we'll see how this all goes and you know uh, what can I r- yeah. real quick sorry there's one thing because we went off on a well-deserved tangent here. I did want to mention one quick X's and O's thing that relates to what you said right off the top, Sammy, that was um, related to, to what we think is going to be happening with the schedule. It bears mentioning that a team Iowa is possibly the single team that will be affected the most by a theoretical shift to all the division games going to the top of the schedule. Iowa led with Minnesota, their next three games in conference were going to be Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State. And now those games most likely will go to the very end of their schedule. So in theory, if they ended up with some situation where they were starting like Minnesota, Purdue, Nebraska, Illinois, maybe that helps in the short term iron out some of the mess that they're going to be dealing with. But again, that's I get, there's so much that we don't know. We don't know what these schedules are it's just it's a possibility. So, anyway, that's the one thing I wanted to throw in.
2: Well, that would be really great for for uh uh Spencer Petrus, right? Like to to get some opportunities to play subpar defenses instead of going through that absolute murderers row that you you laid right. out a second ago, John. <laughs> exactly. Um, but we yeah, we I mean, I guess, you know, tradition tradition informs us that we should talk about what we think their record might be and how how they how they would stack up in the West like I mean, where do where do you guys see this team falling relative to what I think are, I mean, Wisconsin, I think still is the top of the heap per we, we haven't previewed them yet, but um, I mean, is this, is this team good enough to, to win a title? Like
0: all this extracurricular stuff, notwithstanding. I don't think so. I mean, but again, with, with Iowa is what they every single year with Iowa, if they're, if we don't think they're going to be good, they turn out to be awesome. If we think they're going to be solid, they turn out to be subpar. Like, that happens every single year with the Hawkeyes whenever we try to predict what they're going to do.
1: Right. I it's. I mean, top, I mean, top to bottom, I mean, this is a team that's flat out better than Illinois, Nebraska, maybe Purdue, um, Minnesota probably. I mean, again, it's, it's tight. Um, and if, you know, Michigan State, yes. So depending on, you know, who they get as an additional added game, again, they already were kind of getting a murderer's row. Unless they pulled Michigan, they're looking at adding Rutgers or Maryland to their schedule. So they're, I mean, that's a pretty good slate for Iowa. I think they win half of those games. So, I mean, I certainly think this is a bowl team. And if things break the right way, yeah, I mean, they could be looking at the top of the conference. I mean, the game with us is going to be a really interesting game. Um, the Purdue game is going to be a massive clash of styles Wisconsin is I think a better team um, but it's going to be a heck of a matchup I mean again it's like Scuzz said like you know dis- disregarding all the off the field stuff but man that off the field stuff is going to be the secret sauce for this team because you know it could really be the kind of thing I mean it, lest you think things like this don't matter re- remember what happened in Urban Myers last year at Ohio State and what that team could have been Um and and what they were and again it's not apples to apples but it these things matter and they <laughs> do show up on the field
0: and and
2: Urban didn't even do anything to the team right
1: R- right exactly so anyway good good team i i would say in a 10 game schedule i definitely see 5 probably 6 maybe more i mean this is a a good football team that i do think will bowl i don't think they'll be top of the west
0: well if there are even bowls i mean that
1: knock knock wood.
0: who knows who knows yeah I, that, I i would think they're an upper half of the of the division team you know are they better than wisconsin i don't think so are they worse than illinois and nebraska no so i mean like you know and the the west has always kind of been like top bottom and then everyone else is sort of in the middle and i i, I think that's where i was going to land this year yeah, I'll I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I'd state them ahead
2: of us as well until until we can prove our, our uh, until we see our offense and our QB. I mean, I think I think the upside for us is higher, but right now I think they're,
0: you know, more solid across the board. Sure. Oh, well, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates. And you can always email the show at westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Bottom Ryan Field flying the Red Pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. From John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy. I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.